Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Take your recording to the next level with Neural DSP and their unmatched range of guitar and bass amplifier plugins. And right now you can get 30% off all Neural DSP plugins with discount code GUITARNERDS. Achieve an authentic and professional guitar tone at home without the need for mics or cabs. The impulse response loader allows you to move mics around in a virtual 3D environment. And with a range of plugins that cover everything from crystal cleans and shimmering reverbs Right across the crushingly aggressive metal tones, there's something for every type of player. But don't take my word for it, all neural DSP plugins come with a free 14-day trial with no credit card required. Up your plugin game with Neural DSP and Guitar Nerds. Visit neuraldsp.com for more details. Welcome to the second episode in a new series of the Home Recording Guide. I am your host, Joe Branton, joined by Matt Knight. Hello there. Yes, indeed. And in this series, uh, we're going to attempt to make a track using easily accessible, largely affordable home uh, equipment. And we're going to talk you through every step of the way. Now, to preface this, I'll, I'll go through the whole spiel that I did in the first episode. To preface this, Matt, like many of you listening, is an accomplished guitarist, but a complete layman when it comes to recording. And until now, this has been something he's left to producers and studio engineers. But with the world in the state that it's in and the closure of studios, venues and rehearsal spaces, Matt, like many of you, is developing his recording skills. So... In this series, as in in the first episode, we talked about all the things you would need to get a, a basic home setup. We spoke about the DAWs and uh, and interfaces um, as kind of our primary thing. We we spoke. We we decided to go with uh, Studio One by Personas. Personas Studio One, which is the the main reason because is because it's the one that I use, and so it's easy for me to. Um, teach that to Matt and then for us to kind of share and build a track between us. Um, Studio One has has lots of various versions. There's a free version, dear listener, that you can check out and get. It's very, very good, the free version. It comes with a load of uh, of, of Personas' own plugins, so you've got enough to build a track straight out of the box and, it, you know, and it's completely free. You can't use third-party plugins with that, but they have Studio One Artist, which is about 100 bucks, and that does allow third-party plugins. It also comes with a whole load more stuff, including their their range of fat channel EQs and compressors, which is actually still what I use, even though I use, and this was what I was trying to get to, I use Studio One Sphere, which is their top level one. So you get absolutely everything. Plus you get every new plugin or every new update for, you know, for free with it. Well, you know, you're paying for it. But the difference with Sphere is rather than paying a set amount, you pay a monthly subscription. It's only like 15 quid um, a month for for their all singing, all dancing um, DAW. And one of the great things about Sphere is it has a, a built-in work suite, a sort of a, a workspace in there where you can share, pass around tracks and things like that. So um, hence why, you know, me and Matt will be building a track via that. Whew. So what we ended Ooh. up with, yeah, sorry, that was a that was a big spiel. Actually, I'll tell you what, it's worth noting because I was on a call with, uh, with the 
Personas Studio One the other week, and they pointed out to me that uh, the artists now, the Studio One artist, which is the one, their mid-level one that you can use plugins with, it comes for free with their £100 um, interface. So, you know, last oh, week we were, yeah, we, we, we were talking about interfaces and what would be the best interface to get. And I was like, well, Focusrite Scarlet 2i2 is very, very good. And I still stand by it as an absolute, you know, a fantastic, accessibly priced um, uh, interface. But the fact that the Personas ones comes with, essentially, you know, £100 worth of software anyway, uh, that's uh, it's a pretty yeah. good place to start. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll have to check them out. It's um, yeah. I think we'll 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 dive into a few other things from from this week. But uh, that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's been it's been interesting, Joe Branton. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I I sat down um, to build. You. We agreed at the end of the last episode that I'd build you a little backing track to work to for you to add guitars. And of course, we wanted to take advantage of the neural DSP plugins specifically the Corey Wong because it's so very good and so diverse you get so much with the Corey Wong plugin as we'll go mm. into um yeah so so i had to i had to build you a a bit of a backing track um and uh, I, I suppose what i i went for i ended up doing something in 68 75 bpm and I laid down kind of some simple drums that escalate throughout the track about a minute 30. So there's no real sort of verse to chorus. There's a slight key change towards the end, but it's more or less just a sort of a, a slow build throughout, which I thought was the easiest way to kind of showcase this. And I laid down a little bit of bass and I popped some guide synth to it. Now, uh, Studio One comes with this really nice, nice range of Personas plugins. One of their synthesizers called the Mai Tai has a, a fantastic preset, which I use for virtually everything for laying down just the root chords. And it's called 1984. It's got a very Blade Runner-esque, simple sawtooth sound to it. And I simply use the, um, uh, like the, the MIDI, um, uh, sort of notation side of Studio One mm -hmm. to plan that in. I picked a chord progression and I, I popped that in along with the drums. And then I wrote a simple bass line along to it and sent that over to you. And that's what you've kind of used. Now that synth track will, will come out eventually in the mix, but it was just there to give you like a guide on where the chords were and the notes were and, and what mm. you'd be, mm. what you'd be playing with. Um, so I guess before we before we dive into it, um, let's give the listeners a listen to the track before we add your guitar. So there we are. Very, very simple. Minute and a half um, mm. bass, synth and drums. Important to note that I used the newer DSP Corey Wong plugin for the bass as well. Um, there are, in fact, Corey Wong presets for bass. There's a precision and a jazz bass preset on there, although I sort of messed with it a bit. What's quite nice about the using the bass amps for there is the head that one of the heads they've designed on the Corey Wong plugin has like a built-in compressor, which I could absolutely crank. And it gives you that old school sort of limited comp compression, that sort of over the top mm -hmm. thing. So that you dig in and it sounds a little bit awkward and like over, like everything <laughs> squashed into a ceiling, which is what I want. Yeah. Um, but, but yes, it was very simple. Added a little bit of reverb, which I think I'll change. Oh, I, I, I in fact have changed since then to a little bit of slapback delay, which I used the delay pedal on the Corey Wong plugin 
as well um, for that. Uh, but that was yeah. basically the the entire the, the all I used was the same plugin that you used, just a P base going straight into my interface. Yeah. So there's a couple of things I want to I want to start with before we dive into the recording. Um, a, a few takeaways, I guess, um, from that. So you, I have done almost zero home recording. I I would say you know in the last five years which we should we spoke about last time and this has made me realize how important it is to be able to listen to yourself as a guitar player um because it's so easy to sit at home and practice and play and you know write riffs or or whatever or just play some chords and mess around with pedals you know it was eye-opening and scary the first time I heard back a track that I laid down. I was just like, <laughs> and I won't swear, but I was like, wow. I, uh, it, it, yeah. It, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm a bad guitar player, um, but well, I said, it made you, know, you, it really exposes your weaknesses. Yeah. Is that it, what you it, thought? It, it, mm. it, yeah. I think so. Because, uh, well, first of all, you were like, it's in 6-8. I was like, I think I can barely count the 4-4. Four, four. Um, <laughs> but, you know, putting the click on, I was like, okay. And then the first thing you notice is I, you, there's the, the, the intro chords. So there's a little bit of silence and then the, the track comes in. So you were like, I've given you four four bars, basically. And how much I was I was pushing that initial chord. Like I was obviously you know you can you can push or or pull the track by you know being either on the beat behind the beat ahead of the beat and i was like wow i'm like really struggling here and it, and it took me a while to to sort of uh, get into it but yeah first of all just exposing yourself as as, as a player uh, playing to a metronome is not easy and unless you unless you do it regularly it's uh, yeah. you know it is a skill in its own right Absolutely. And, I, you know, I've always enjoyed playing to, to backing tracks and it's something I don't do enough. But, um, yeah, first of all, I thought it sort of exposed me as a player. Um, and we spoke about it last time, but that sort of red light syndrome of going, no, that's that's the one I'm, I, I'm using. Um, also, it made me realize that one thing I think I've always struggled with, and I think we touched on this last time was you, you look at the end goal and you go, I want you, you write a chord progression and in your head, you've got this amazing finished track and then you lay down the first part. And then after about two hours of messing around, you're like, this sounds terrible. And you just give <laughs> up and you, and you realize this, this, there's such a process of refinement in that and the, the backing track that you sent me first of all i was like oh it's a pretty good backing track you know you could use that and then we'll just play guitars and we're done but actually the fact that you can go in and you can you know with plugins you can change how things sound and change the track and then you can take the synth off and you can change the parts but i think as a guitar player and you probably find this as a guitarist and a bass player but being able to lay down a scratch track easy enough that you can play along to and play over and, and refine the song. You know, so often I've, I think in the past where I've gone wrong is I've gone this great chord progression. I was like, right, I've got a little drum machine. And then that drum track goes, that simple drum machine goes round for a minute. And then you're like, you record that in and you're like, God, this just sounds weak. And again, <laughs> it puts you off and it's, and it's disappointing. And I think, I mean, I, I know obviously you, you've had a lot more involvement in bands, but just drum tracks and i think the availability of things like session drum or easy drummer or tune track or whatever where you can drag and drop real drum sound real drum loops in and actually really quickly create a wicked drum track that's just got a bit more of excitement that you can actually play to you know there's that yeah. build in the scratch track where you know things are building up towards the end if you were using a drum machine it would be the same four bars over and over and then you're just like you know it i think you actually need the drums in there to build some excitement into the track to play along to and you might change those at a later date but i certainly felt that having that that sort of backing track helped me create some more interesting parts create some variation in parts create different ideas and actually i laid down a few rhythms 
then laid down a lead and then actually took some of the rhythm parts out and put something else in. Um, and once I started diving into it, I mean, hours were lost well, in a good way, obviously, but it was just like, man, it's, you know, why haven't I done more of this? And actually I listened to it again today. I, I spent a good four hours or something on it yesterday. And then the end of the evening, uh, my computer crashed <laughs> and I thought I've lost everything. I was like, I haven't saved it. Thankfully, Studio One sort of like automatically saved a bunch of it anyway. Um, and it made me re-record the, the, the lead, a part of the lead part again. But um, I came back to it and listened to it then. I was like, oh no, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased with that. It feels like a song is is forming. And, and I started getting into it. I was like, right, the lead track, um, which I guess we'll play maybe after this little bit of talking, yeah. but... Um, I, I found myself because their space is dropping in. So, so actually, the lead track that you hear is actually four different parts or takes that I've sort of like dropped in different bits because I was like, oh, I can change this bit here or that bit here, and then left enough room for in the third episode when you're talking about mixing and fleshing things out that you might be able to drop things out or you might send it back to me and I might put a different part in. But it was a fantastic experience and. Presonus was a great way to do it. I think it was again diving into a DAW for the first time. Um, you know, bits of it felt familiar. You know, I'm not an absolute newbie. You know, I've I've hit record on a, a DAW a couple of times, <laughs> um, and, and you know, I could find my way around quite easily. Um, but it was it was good. It was good fun. It was frustrating. It was a bit scary. Um, and you know what? I think doing this podcast, um, and putting those tracks out there is kind of a bit of a confidence boost because I'm just like, yeah, you're, you're sort of drawing a line under it and you're going, yeah, that's, that's the part I'm going with. Yeah. And he's putting yourself out there as a player. And I think that's one thing that's always put me off recording is like, is it ever going to be good enough? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, I think you you've hit the nail on the head when you when you talk about um, being able to lay down scratch tracks. It's it's kind of my. It, I think it's a learning curve, and it's something to get over when you use a DAW. But nothing has to be finished or the final article mm. ever if you don't want. You know, not I'm, until much much further down the line. And I like being able to add stuff and be like, this is this is okay. Maybe there are a couple of things there, but then I won't immediately go and change that. Maybe I'll start working on something else like another part of that track and i'll come back to the instrument or the bit that i was concerned mm. about later and you can you know that and, and i think that the constant that's what gets you over that red light syndrome is mm. understanding that it doesn't have to be finished until you're happy and you don't have to get it ready right now you can keep on chipping away at it and i think mm. that takes a lot of the pressure off for me certainly as a player yeah, I mean, it's um, it's interesting because one of my favourite songs of all time is Sledgehammer by Peter Gabriel. I think it's an amazing song. Uh, it's got, I've got some good memories tied to it, and obviously I think it's an incredible production. And I think Peter Gabriel was spending like... The reason he built his own studio is so he didn't have to pay for studio time because most of his albums took about five years, uh, you know, in constant <laughs> production. You know, he would hire producers that would be like, oh, I'm in this for the long haul now then. And uh, I think you're right. I think, and I'm sure as you get better, you speed up and you can do things quicker. But it's interesting, you know, so many YouTubers out there, uh, like Rabia, for example, you know, and he'll demo a pedal and he'll have a track to go over the top of it. And you're like, how did you get from like, a pedal demo to like this amazing track and you you i'm starting to slowly uncover the the mysteries and the secrets of like oh you can like get these you can basically create a, an amazing scratch track and backing track play a guitar part over the top refine it um and you don't have to be an incredible drummer or an incredible keyboard player there's things that can help you do that and some people say oh that's you know cheating and you know it's not like the old days but I think it's amazing to give more people the opportunity to make music, I think is a great yeah. thing. 
Yeah, I completely agree. Now we we should play um we should play what you've added because we want to talk about that and talk about the plugin and how we made that work yeah. and things. I mean very briefly before we do on the idea of the scratch track, the bass part that you know listener you, you've just heard, I kind of played that in as one, like I, I I, basically had a stab at that maybe three or four times and then I listened back through and picked my favourite one and was like, yeah, that one. And I'm sort of, I remember when I was playing that one in, uh, there was like a, a delivery turn, a delivery van was pulling in and I was sort of looking out the window at, at that being like, oh, I'm going to have to go in a minute as I was recording and like a couple of the fills were a little bit off, but also... I, I noodled a lot because my mind was only half on it. And that's why the bass part is so feel heavy. Now, like a, a bass line like what I've written was fine when it was just uh, the, you know, the synthesizer and the drums there because there's nothing else going on. But as you start to add more stuff, the bass starts to interrupt a little bit with the with the other things or just kind of get lost or basically more or less not do its job quite properly. So what I'll probably do after Matt's one is refine that bass part a bit. But that's, you know, that's again the beauty of uh, of doing it this way. Anyway, let's uh, let's play the track as Matt sent it to me on top of the um, existing bits that I provided. Here it is. So there was, uh, there it was, two rhythm guitars and a lead guitar, plus you know a, a, a little chord swell for the for the intro there. That was all the Corey Wong um, Neural DSP plugin. What, what did you What did you use? How did you find the plugin? Let's talk about that. Yeah, so this, um, you know, let's be honest. Be honest with myself. Be honest with the, the people listening. Hmm. I know the term plugin. I've seen plugins. I've never used a plugin, and most of them are a complete mystery. But I nod my head. It's like that meme of someone's like, you know, everyone knows what you know. I think it was about MIDI. It is like by this point, I'm too afraid to ask. Do you know what I mean? Everyone's talking about MIDI. Everyone's talking about plugins. I'm like, I'm sort of too afraid to ask. You know, because there's so much out there about plugins at the moment, and what you can do and you know i see my mate who owns a studio and you know he's he'll do loads of stuff on modular synth and he's like yeah let's slam a bit of valhalla reverb on that and then he's tweaking some stuff i'm like i've literally no idea what you do like how does it even work like a pedal plugs an input and an output and then into an amp um so it's interesting because me and you we we loaded up personas he talked me through um you know, uh, you know. Here's the button to record, and here's how you add a new track. And I was like, "Yeah, that's great, cool. That's easy to understand, and hey, you can color code it, and you can name it." I was like, "Okay, that's cool." So I was like, "A plugin." He's like, "Right, okay. So you have got your act plugin activated. You just drag and drop it onto the track." I'm like, "What?" <laughs> I'm like, "What? How does that? How does it work?" And it's like, "Oh, it's basically <laughs> you're just adding an effect to that." track and I, and I guess it's something we'll cover in later ones but people always talk about you know oh you've got to have a compressor on the bus track i'm like what's a bus got to do with it do you know what i mean it's all that sort of stuff so um 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I thought what was great uh, as as a complete newbie was you were like, right, so you've activated it. So when Studio One loads up, it will load in and it will know that there's the archetype. Corey Wong can be loaded in automatically. How it does that, I have no idea. But you were like, you go to the um, browse window, and I think it was under like VST or whatever. It's like Corey yeah. Wong. It's like drag and drop it onto the track, drag and drop it onto the track, and all of a sudden, this amazing UI looking UI comes up, and my guitar just sounds way better because I'm playing it before, and I'm like, this is obviously the DI track you know i'm going into a i've got a behringer mixer and then that goes stereo out into the interface and the reason i do that is because i've got drum machines and stuff and it saves me plugging just one thing into the interface at once and then yeah and then it was like oh i've got all this delay and reverb i'm like oh this sounds great and just sort of started scrolling through the the presets and i was like oh it's much louder but obviously i'm not clipping the input or anything because the input into the interface is the input into the interface. It's just it's just not a dry DI sound. Um, and then, obviously, a good UI, it was just, you know, this is how you do it. This is, this is you could clear a little picture of an amp. Oh, that takes them to the amp, and then you can just drag the knob, knobs up and down. And four pedals, you know, they're all, do you want to click the button to turn them on? You turn up the compression level or whatever, you know, very, um, well... The term is obviously WYSIWYG. What you know, what you see is what you get. It was very much like there's no menu scrolling or deep diving, or it's it's on the screen. You're looking at the pedals, and and everything was in the right order. You know, you've got your, I think it's pedals, um, you know, amps. Then there's little EQ. You like have a separate, head. yeah. You've got a separate um, EQ head, which is quite nice, which I thought was cool. And then. Um, Cab, your, your and mic placement. Yeah, and I actually did mess around with the um, the mics a little bit, and and just until I mean, again, I don't really know what I'm doing. It's like ribbon condenser. I'm sort of like I sort of know what these microphones are, but yeah, you know, I, I didn't really mess around with the mic placement because it's one of those things where first time you get into pedals and you're like, I put everything at the extreme, and you're like, well, this sounds good until you revert back to the previous settings. And you're like, wow, that sounds way better because you just you know you've put things like 100 percent off axis or what you're basically pointing it at the ceiling so i i just flicked through a couple of different mic settings and i realized that a couple of the presets i was using only had one mic on i was like oh, i'm gonna turn both on and i'm gonna set it to stereo and just sort of played around with it until it got to where i wanted it hmm. and um i probably spent about 45 minutes sort of dialing in the first rhythm track i had an idea in my head but what was interesting is i actually cycled through a couple of guitars it's the first time that i've had to pick a guitar for a track you know obviously i'm lucky enough to have 10 different guitars here but you know that playing at home with an amp you're just like oh i like the feel of this one and the sound of this one but it's a totally different ball game when you're recording so i had the harmony out first and i was like oh it sounds good and i laid down a track and i'm like oh it's a bit dark and i couldn't really dial that out of the preset and i'm like 
that's because maybe the guitar isn't doing what I needed to do. So, you know, tried the Strat and I was like, no, that's not quite right. And then, you know, applied the Music Man in. I was like, okay, when I'm playing through an amp, I use the neck pickup loads. But actually for this, I was like, no, I want the bridge pickup. It was a bit brighter. It, it gave a different feeling to it. So it was the first time I've really picked a, a guitar for a track. And I know there's wow. probably some people going, well, that's crazy. Why have you got 10 guitars then? I'm like, well, it's just, you're a guitar player. You like owning guitars. It's the first time I had to like pick one for a reason. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was good. I found the plugin. I'm just going to studio one for a second. I found studio one really easy to use because I'm only using the top level basics. You know, I managed to set yeah. the metronome. You told me how to turn the metronome. I, I worked out how to tweak the metronome. So I had a slightly different beep on the one. Um, but the plugin was, was easy because it was what you see is, is what you get. And I could quite easily dial it in and obviously dialing amps in, in real life. That's a, as kind of a, a brief overview for the listener, that's the, the great part. There are several screens on the Neural DSP Corey Wong plugin. So you get your amp head, uh, as Matt said, with all the controls that you can tweak. You can flick through different amp heads. You have the cab, which you can select different cabs and select the mic placement on there. Then you have um, an EQ head, which is just, I can't remember how many bands, just a, lots of bands, little EQ heads, so you can fine shape uh, your tone um, after it's come out of the, out of the pre and power amp simulation from the, from the head itself. And then you've got your effects pedals on the floor, which is split into two screens, normal effects and then time-based effects. So you have a compression, two levels of drive and an auto wire, because it's Corey Wong, uh, as your four normal stomp boxes and then a delay and a reverb both very strymon influenced style yeah. delays and reverbs I, you know what i liked <laughs> i liked having less choice i know that sounds crazy for someone like me he's got like an ungiggable rig but it forces you to um think about what's in front of you and use the tools at hand um, and you realise that there's a lot you can you can get out get out of that. Um, I thought the time based effects were very good. I like the fact that you could sync them really easily. I thought the reverb sounded really good. Um, and then it yeah, was I think easy. The, the reverb is especially good for me. The reverb is a real mm. strong point of the Corey Wong plugin. Absolutely, yeah. I think um, you know, and turning the shimmer on, I was like, oh, this thing sounds amazing. Um, and then, you know, building other tracks and then having two or three versions of that. Um, on a side note, as we spoke before the podcast, Joe, that I think it's pushing the limits of my uh, my computer by uh, running three <laughs> tracks with the plug-in. It's running at about 50% processing power. And every so often was like, no, I'm not happy about this. And, you know, would jump or, you know, the track would glitch. So there but it is... Was there is a little trick to that, and there is something I can that I should tell you and our listener. If you were experiencing that, if you're using rather heavy, if your computer's a bit slow, or you're using plugins that are quite labour intensive, um, the guitarist in Polymath uses quite an old PC um, to record everything. And what he does is, when things start to lag, he gets the track as good as it can be. You need to mute the other tracks to sort of, you know, reduce the lag. Gets that track to kind of where he wants it to be. Then he exports the stem with the plugin printed onto it and then re-imports that WAV now as an uneditable WAV. So he no longer has control of the the plugin on it, but the WAV is much lighter and easier for the DAW to yeah. read. I, I guess we should touch on that actually before we move on to a couple of other things. But it took me a while to wrap my head around the fact that the plugin itself, so if we take Corey Wong and we're taking a guitar track, when you record that guitar track, you're not actually recording the sound of the plugin. Not until you export it, no. The, and that the, plugin, was a bit... the plugin is processing it real time every time you play it back. Yeah, and that was a bit mind-blowing. Because but that's the, that's the beauty of it, because it means, yeah. you know, every time someone records into a real-world amplifier or even plugs direct in through a real-world amp or something, if you want to change that tone afterwards, the most you can do is re-EQ it. In fairness, a lot of what you're going to want to do with tracks in post is just EQing. But the fact that 
you can, after you've recorded that in, change anything about any of those plugins. Like the fact that I switched from reverb to a slapback delay on my bass track. You mm. know, that's it's very handy to be able to do that after the fact. Yeah, I think one thing I didn't do, which I, I, I might go back and, and do a bit more and might just sort of mess around with it a bit more is, um, yeah, play back the track muted in real time and actually edit the sound. I think I spent a long time dialing in the sound to then record but right. actually what i should have done is probably got it roughly where i wanted it yeah and then gone back and changed it and looped sections Absolutely. and gone because what i was doing was i was playing it in i was like oh is it clipping is it the right drive level messing around back forth stop start and then was just like you know and i, I dialed in the sound but ultimately the plugins allowing you to sort of mess around with that in real time and it didn't click until the i was laying down the lead track and at one point i had quite a, a different delay sound um to what to what you heard uh, earlier in the episode and then sort of hit stop on the recording but the delay trails kept carrying on and then nothing was recording onto the track and i was like of course it's processing a, a di signal and actually, if I muted, and I think at one point I did turn the plug-in off and was like, oh, right. And, and it sort of suddenly, yeah, started to click into place. But I thought that was really interesting and opens up the conversation about reamping and uh, and stuff like that. And, uh, you well, know, we talked a lot about the before when it was came out, you know, whatever, a year and a half ago, and the tube amp expander and recording your valve amp at home and then actually sending out audio over MIDI and reamping it, I was like, "Oh man!" Like that—that that opens up a whole, a whole other, whole other ball game, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things, and this is something we'll more come onto in the next episode where we're talking about filling out the track. But you know, things like I asked you to send it, send me the guitar tracks both printed with the plugin on, so the WAVs with Corey Wong, and just. The t I asked you to re-export them with the plugins turned off, so I just get your raw DI signal. Because mm. one of the you know, one of the things that I will start to do is is kind of try and try to give a little bit more clarity to your parts by I'll I'll run your dry parts through like a simple low gain amp plugin, probably like probably pretty dry pretty reverbless and then put them quite low in the mix and it would just it almost acts like a blend control and it gives everything mm. just a little bit more of a bait uh, just a little bit less wash and just a little bit more um uh makes it work with the drums makes yeah. it click in a little better i think um one i mean you know don't want to skip too far forward but one thing I was watching the other day, which was Andy Wallace, who I think was the engineer on Jeff Buckley's Grace record and was talking about the guitar sound. And actually they recorded the guitar sound and mic'd everything up, but then they blasted the track into a room with microphones in just to capture the sound of the, uh, <laughs> of the room and stuff like that. And, you know, people are doing things like that. And it's like, it's a whole other, uh, whole other world. But I think, yeah, it was, it was interesting because then I was starting to go, oh, well, you know, if I'm, you know, maybe if I was doing stereo parts or if I was doubling parts, you could do different tracks. Like you say, you could then have the the DI signal. You could add some reverb to, to that or whatever. Um, and it started to make me think a little bit more about, again, that, that getting the part right rather than getting the sound right because actually you can go back and and change that unless obviously you're miking up a guitar amp and i know in the last episode i spoke oh, i prefer doing everything on headphones i started doing that absolutely and it was working and then at one point when i was listening back to the track i was like oh I listen back to the track on on monitors and i was like oh well, the lead part's not right and i just played it in again i was like ah oh, actually i am starting to grasp that way of hearing guitars through monitors and then basically highlighted that I probably should have some better monitors. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what the only one thing I did find weird that maybe this is something that other people might find, maybe you know the answer to Joe just quickly is 
my interface has a mix control on it on it which i think is for the monitor so one side says or in the middle it says mix one side is input and then one side is playback and at one point i was getting quite heavy like doubling where it felt like obviously i could hear the di signal but then also the playback of the track and i was like i don't really know where i'm supposed to set the control am i supposed to set it to input and then just hear what's going in am i supposed to set it to playback so i can hear what's coming out because i guess when you're recording in a studio you're monitoring on headphones I, yeah I, I don't really know but that was a bit of Weird, a thing that yeah, sort of threw I, me I, off. I don't know either it's not it's not a, like i just have a simple monitor control on uh, yeah on mine. so I, I don't know whether that was just the way that it was it was monitoring or or not but uh eventually sort of i said it i think i said it to full playback and it was it was fine yeah um but um yeah it was uh it was an interesting experience using plugins. Like I said, I've never been the biggest advocate of plugins before, but now I'm sort of starting to understand that. Um, well, you've, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. The advantage for me with plugins is that you can look at them after the fact, that you can continue to mess around with your tone and try and refine it afterwards to an extent that you just can't using other things. Now, we, you know, we were going to talk about the other options you have for kind of recording guitars in because you don't have to just use plugins obviously we're talking about home recording and as we touched on last week i just don't think there is a reasonable way to mic up a guitar well in a home situation maybe for some people there is but with the state of direct recording these days whether you're going out of a direct out of a katana a gt1000 or you know a helix anything like that the the direct in options are fantastic one thing you know i don't think i even mentioned this week but something that i use a lot or maybe i did mention it last week the two notes captor x um which has all their cab sim technology i uh i often use that alongside a real world head in order to be able to capture that and i actually think two notes two notes make the best cabinet simulations um so that you know that and such a broad range as well so that a, a wonderful way to kind of refine your tone but you know then the downside of using helix or something like that is you are married to those tones that you recorded in with because it's an outworld a real world piece of equipment you've just got the wav on your daw there's nothing mm. you can add effects to it certainly <laughs> you know modulations you can add but you have to bear in mind that you you're at that point you're adding them you know post cab as it were so there's it's definitely more limiting um mm. i think um yeah one thing i'd like to do is i'd like to try something like i've got the gt1000 and the gt1000 core here but is actually record over usb and use that as the interface uh mm. and try some some reamping that way i'd quite like to try diving into some irs and understanding a little bit about irs i, I remember watching a, a vlog on that pedal show a while ago where i think mick was talking about recording stuff at home and you know it can be done i think if you've got a, a decent knowledge of mics you've spent the money on mics you've got the option to at least give your amp a little bit of oomph, you know, push some air out. I think it can be done. But like I, said, I think for most people, the most sensible option is is using some plugins and, you know, even stuff like, I mean, one thing I find amazing, you know, I'm a fan of Chris Buck and, and his channel and he does a track at the beginning of every video he does on a Friday. And that's all generally, I think it's all just guitar rig. You know, yeah. it's just like, man, it's... You know, realistically, you can never tell. And ultimately, give any guitarist the choice. They would always want to record in a nice studio with some crank damps. You know, who wouldn't want to do it like Joe Bodomassa and have like 10 vintage dumbbells and go to a studio and crank it? You know, of course. That is true. That is definitely true. But I will like, even as a vintage gear fanatic, so every time I go into the studio, now with my band, we always use the same studio, Brighton Electric Studios, and they do have... Um, they have an old amp, which I've used for everything Polymath have ever recorded. And it's an old Fender Baseman 100, and they have a, a 215 cabinet. And I use that every time. Um, and the thing, the thing is, it's, it's my vintage gear fanaticism that makes me use it. And 
Like even the other week, I was listening back to some stuff. And, and even when I've been in the studio, I've heard the bass recorded and I've been like, oh, actually, you know, that's it's getting lost a little bit. It's maybe a little woolly and everything that has to be done to repair it is not the amplifier. It's the engineer using a virtual EQ, you know, to try and repair the bad choices that I've meant, made that I have to live with on that amp head. And that's the thing, like, you know, as, as soon as you're using a plugin, you're not actually married to any of those things. But also, even outside of the plugins thing, I on the, on the Polymath record, the two Polymath records that we've recorded in lockdown, I've used nothing but, for my bass tone, the Boss GT1000. And... The the thing is, I'm the tone that I've designed, the preset that I've built, I am a hundred percent happy with. And crucially, in the difference between that preset on that unit and wheeling an amp with valves in it into a uh, you know a, a a glass booth in varied temperatures to use, is that mm. I don't know I don't know exactly what that rig is going to sound like. Uh, and I don't know exactly how it's going to be recorded. I don't know what mics that producer is going to use this time, how he's going to place them. There are so many variables there. Whereas that preset that I've got saved, I know exactly what it sounds like with my 1969 P bass. And I know that I love that tone. And so I'm kind of like, I wonder what will happen the next time I do go into a real world studio. Will I want to use that old gear or will I want to have a reliable sound that... I have no problem with. There is nothing I don't love about that tone that I've built. And I guess it really depends if you can do that. Like if you think you need the real world amplifier, if you're unable to with plugins or digital equipment replicate that tone, then I totally get it. But if you can replicate it, surely Mm. at that point it's a better option. Yeah, yeah. I think um, it's just amazing what you can do at home (laughs) do you know what i mean it's just you know or even in a studio or what people can do you know to i mean you've got to think like sure you could drop in when you're back on tape but i know when we shot the um when uh, at boss when we did the next home video we wanted to record all the examples to tape but of course all of that tape gets bounced into pro tools anyway but you've got to have an engineer that's like literally like noting every timestamp on the tape and you know dropping stuff in you know but now you can have a track and you can drop in at any point and just change like one note it's um and you can alter the tone it's yeah i think it's um it's pretty amazing i mean i yeah i would still love to be able to crank stuff up i mean when we release the box 40 we did six amps in the studio just cranked um but then again you're still hearing everything through monitors unless you're in the room (laughs) you know and that's different to hearing (laughs) things through a speaker cab um but i think this is good that i i'm hoping you know and as next week we talk about virtual drums and building drums that it will give me a chance to then go away after that episode and actually drag some drums in and we'll try some different drum programs and actually try and create a backing track of my own and Try and, yeah. I, I just want to understand the the magic behind creating a drum track and and trying to create a, you know something because I can't play drums you know my my feels would literally be like dun 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 do you know what I mean or like but as long drummers. as you understand the principle of a drum kit you can you can program them in MIDI as long as that I think the the and this I was taught by a, a drummer is if you understand the physical limitations of a drum kit then you can program them well right as in (laughs) you know never never program in anything that a human can't do Um, and 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 you'll be able to do it with like a with a with a good drum plug-in you'll be able to do it um, yeah. But yes, yeah. you're absolutely right. We, we were gonna next week. We're gonna talk about drums. How I built the drums. I probably did a bit too much on the drum track I sent you because I did actually even master those drums a little bit as well. Um, but um, yeah, we'll talk about sort of the drum track. I think, and, and we'll go into. I haven't done any of this yet, so I don't know. But I'm thinking, like off the top of my head, from hearing that, you've got a couple of rhythm tracks. I want to pan those out quite a lot. I want to add 
some rhythm guitars underneath that are a bit drier to give it some more context. I can kind of hear an acoustic guitar it, it playing along just some like a uh, rhythmic chords where really what you hear is sort of the pick attack mm-hmm. um, coming through the mix because it, it's got something Pink Floydy about this track and that's kind of something that they did a lot. You always had that Martin sort of with open chords in the yeah. in the background of everything. So I might add a little bit of that and then I'm going to take out that synthesizer, which of course listener you couldn't really hear after matt had added his guitars i'm going to take out that synthesizer um add in i'm going to maybe try playing in some piano because i can kind of hear some big piano chords in this but it might be too much with the acoustic guitar in which case i'll just put in some more complex synth that accents um the uh, the guitar a bit better and there were a couple of things there was like a little run that you did on one of your rhythm guitars that i'd like to uh, I'd like to duplicate with the keys and also with the bass. So I'll replay the bass in a few less fills and a bit more in line with what you're playing. Mm-hmm. And I kind of think that's that's sort of initial thoughts, basically. Yeah, yeah. I thoughts. think um, it, what was what was good is this the first time I sort of like. And and I understand now how people can do session stuff at home because they can just get sent all that and drop it in and just export the waves. It's like, there you go. It's like, you don't even know to go, need to go to the studio to do a session. Um, but it was so good to have that backing track and actually play to a backing track rather than, you know, nothing. And what I'd quite like to do yeah. is, yeah, get some drum loops, get a drum thing in there. So at least I know what drum pattern I've got, you know, cause before I think, Oh, well I want to have an intro that goes on for four bars. And then, you know, what I want to do is just drop some drum loops in and then just like a basic chords then play some bass over it, then do the final guitar track and then reverse back all the other parts. Do you know, do you know what I mean? I don't, yeah. I don't know how you normally work when it's, when you record in that way, but it feels like everything can be basic and then the guitar should be mm-hmm. laid down in full and then you kind of reverse everything from that. But that is, yeah, I think that's a really good way of doing it. Yeah. Getting everything in as a guide and then, what you'll do is you add the guitars in in full and you'll go back to the other instruments, you'll change them, you'll add them, and then you'll probably, something will happen in one of those that will make you want to go back to the guitar and change something. It's constant building. It's just constant changing and building and developing, and that's what makes it such a wonderful experience because you are always, everything you do is going to make this better from this point. You know, Mm. At some point you might feel that you've done too much and then you can take some stuff out, but you can just... It's that wonderful process of development which makes home recording so much fun. Um, yeah, but yes, that, that is, that's pretty much all the time we have for this week. So, yeah, so next week we're going to be talking about fleshing out the track. So I will I'll take this away um, and I'll come up with some ideas and I'll add some bits and bobs. And then next week we'll be able to listen to that. We'll be able to we'll play Matt's uh, version again and then we'll play what I've done to it. And we can talk through what I've done and how to do it and so how you can do that dear listener if you're if you're using the neural dsp plugins or or the studio one daw um yeah yeah we'll see how we get on exciting times indeed but uh yes thank you very much uh dear listener for joining us on this journey of home recording you can of course catch us over on our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash guitar nerds and join the discussion on our Facebook group, the Guitar Nerds Group. We'll be back next week with more of this guitar nerdery. Farewell. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.